<laughs> oh dear. Hi, listeners. <laughs> Welcome to Podcast with Paul. <laughs> We've got interesting insights guaranteed, and it's time to increase your emotional intelligence. Are we up for increasing our emotional intelligence, listeners? Let's have lots of joy and fun and excitement for sure. Hey, I've got some really special guests along the way. Interesting people, really challenging ideas and challenging conversations. It's going to be amazing. You can learn more about what to do, why to do what to do, and what to do about it all. (laughs) So much fun becoming self-aware, motivated, alive, learning new ways to see the world. Hey everybody, welcome to Podcast with Paul. Ah, thank you listeners. Welcome to episode two with the exciting, incredible and very interesting Susan. Are you a bit of a rebel, Susan? I'm not sure. Uh, what else going yeah, on here? I like to call myself a, a graceful social disruptor. Oh, a graceful. I <laughs> yeah, like so that. I don't want to do I it like aggressively it. <laughs> no. because also, you know, when people are in those comfort zones and when you're pushing their boundaries, mm-hmm. that that discomfort they can perceive as an attack. Yep. And it's not an attack. Mm-hmm. It's just us questioning what we do and why we do it it's just a different way of looking at it and and uh, the way to, the way that I can see you looking at it is is for the benefit of the child most and that's where it is it's where your child is and where you know where that child is because it's your child and you're there well, and the child knows themselves mm. like so so I'll give you a little example of my my son so he came out of school and again it was no uh, disrespect to the school he it just wasn't his thing. And he came out at the end of grade three, not being a very confident or competent writer or reader, or he, he wasn't particularly numerate. And so then we created a modality of learning around what he loves, which is scooter riding and trampolining. And he then created a, a business around his own line of clothing that he sells and the profits of his business go into running projects in Africa. And I think, again, part of why we did that is because I was looking at what was happening here in Australia with our our young people, and I had to make a conscious decision of what values do I want my children to be raised with? And is a school, an institutionalised modality of education, going to provide those values? And for me, it wasn't. Because all I needed for my kids was that they understand the capacity to be kind. Mm, which is the most beautiful capacity, obviously. Absolutely. Number one. Absolutely. And so then Marley, through his... So he now has uh, his own podcast. So his business is called 99% Marley. Wow. And he has his own podcast, which is called 99 Seconds with Marley. And he goes all over Adelaide interviewing people about three hashtags that he created, which is 99% kindness, 99% gratitude, and 99% courage. Beautiful. And so he's learned, he's just totally come into himself because I stepped outside of that comfort zone. I mean, you can imagine I've had to make some reasonable 
life adjustments. Oh my dear! I can only imagine that. Obviously, you're you're obviously a good mum to be able to <laughs> have the you. foresight and, and love to, and devotion to do that, and to actually uh, serve as you do because you need to serve another one another person's interest. But when you see them catch on, and their 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 growth start to occur, yep. they they, are, they obviously start to look after themselves because yep. they can see for themselves that they're doing something that they love. And yep. they're not resenting the idea or the system. Absolutely. That's, that's interesting idea because you can go to school resenting the fact that that's the order that you're caught up in and we're all so different. And why is it that we got to con- we need to conform to a set curriculum when actually our, our being is not that? It's something that yep. we want to choose and yep. it's something that our direction is. And some of us have creative minds, some of us have mathematical minds, some of us can write well, some of us can act well, some of us can be better at, at, at doing all sorts of different things. Yep. Yep. So it, it's, it's, it's a diverse... Um, we're all diverse in nature and, and in who we are in personality and everything, but obviously the education system is trying to make us conform into something. And some of those things that I think I know that I learned when I was younger, I feel that I didn't benefit from because I didn't actually get get anywhere. I mean, maybe reading and writing at the start and all of that, but I always wonder some of the things I th- would have appreciated learning when I was younger, I knew I didn't and I had to try and catch on quickly. Well, and you're also being judged you know, mm-hmm. your your behaviour and your intelligence and everything about you is being judged by an external force, mm. be that the teacher or the system. Mm. And again, going back to looking at some of the social ails that we have here in Australia, it's not that hard to work it out. Our model of education was created in around the time of the Industrial Revolution and was created to slot people into working in factories where we then needed people who knew how to follow instructions precisely. We needed people who knew how to walk in a line. We needed people who did what they were told. And before that, most kids were homeschooled. Before the introduction of formal that, education, yes, that's, that's yeah, exactly right. kids that, were homeschooled. Homeschooled, and, yeah. yeah. Or, now we or, call it like child labour, oh, you know. Yes, but <laughs> well, you look at the traditional, we're, we're, we're all English, I suppose, all in the, yeah. all English, but uh, obviously the ch- children over in England, when in the old, exactly. you know, in the 1800s, 1700s, it was about uh, work. Yes. And the child was working. Yes. And the learning was in the working, I don't doubt, at some level. Exactly. But w- the, way, the people that were educated were the wealthy. And there wasn't an education system for the poor. Yep. Uh, the education system did come from the parents. It's only when a country like we come in Australia where we we put a we put a focus on on that. But yes, a lot of those ideas around education are, are probably based in this is the way we've always done it. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it's tradition. Absolutely. Uh, rather than really catching up with what society or what what technology or what the world or where the world is going. It's not. It's not. It's not, it, may, it might be trying to, but it's still caught up in its, this is the way we've always done it. And you look at something like, I was teaching in the Middle East for, for many years and the, the students would say to me, uh, why can't we have our phones at school? And so why would a teacher say no? Why would a teacher say no to that? Or, or a school system, why would they say no to that when all of the tools we need to access to self-educate are actually inside that phone. 
We've got a dictionary. We've got a thesaurus. We've got a translator. We've got all of these things are actually inside that phone. And so I used to say to the students, it's, it actually comes down to us as teachers because mm. that traditional modality of being a teacher, and of course this is also what I'm, what I still experience in Kenya, is the teacher knows more than the student. So for us as teachers, now that the students know more than us and can access information much more quickly than we can, we feel threatened. Mm. So we try to control that. Mm. Rather, it's almost like we need to redefine that terminology around a teacher and look at ourselves as we're the facilitators of a process. And as those students are learning, they are teaching us. And if we see ourselves as a student at the same time, we are teaching them. So then there's this collective teaching and learning as a facilitation process. Seems so much more, uh, a much better process. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it look, it's co- collaboration of some sort, but it's like it's like you say, it's there's a respect around the conversation around teacher and student. Yes. And that respect comes from, I'm learning from you as much as you're learning from me. And as soon as a student feels that, Absolutely. I'm sure they feel that they have something to offer that is worthy rather than just being told to conform. We're looking for you for the for what you require and what you need and we're looking for those cues that are there available to it and every person being the individual. But the teacher themselves uh, has something to offer but more importantly it's not about telling, it's about sharing. And the best teachers you will ever find are people who are self-declared students. Mm. So, you know, people who understand that there's, there's not a full stop at the end of their learning process. So teachers who I employ are very much encouraged to be on that, that journey, that we will be a better educator when we understand that we are the student. And, I mean, and we know it. If we, if we actually listen to the needs of children, children will sort it out. <laughs> they're, they're good at it. They'll really sort it out. <laughs> mm. and, but we don't listen. No. And so then everyone has these mental health problems and everyone everyone's got depression look at, look and everyone's got anxiety. Just no one's, listen. No one's hearing. No one's, no just, one's hearing. <laughs> no one's just pausing yes. and saying, I'm going to listen or I'm going to intuitively feel mm. what's going on. Mm. Like I did in my, my school in Kenya. Intuitively, I could feel that love. Mm. And... Sure, there's there's some schools here that you can go into and feel that. I'm fortunate that my daughter goes to one of those schools. Good. But it, it's not the mainstream. No. Yeah. No. You it's know not it's the not the mainstream, yes. Mm. The more that we have people like you in the world, I think the better world we have. Because <laughs> oh, the, that's the, a very kind thing the, to the, say. The intentions you have. Can I just ask a, a bit of history about you, <laughs> sure. Suzanne? Um, Susan, Suzanne, Susan. The idea, you were you were an Adelaide girl. <laughs> yep. And where did you go to school? I went to Cabra. Cabra? Mm, okay. That's such an Adelaide question. Where did you go to school? Did your sister go to Cabra? <laughs> so you or your cousin? And, and while you were going to school, did you know you were going to be a teacher? You're like one of these ones, I'm going to be a teacher. Is uh, that what you thought? Well, it's interesting. It's, that's a great question because I actually hated school. Yes. And I had planned that I would leave at the end of year 10. 
not knowing what I was going to do or be. I just had to get out of yeah, there. I was like that. I could not wait. Right. And see, mm. and there's still so many kids that are like that. Mm. When I was, I was a figure skater and when I was 16, I went to America for ice skating competitions and that ignited my captivity for the, of the world, my mm. captivation of the world. And I thought, okay, I need to get a job in order to be able to facilitate this process of me seeing the world. And I literally came back. That was and, the reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to I travel. Didn't, I didn't know how to do business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I needed a, a career that was going to give me access to the world and access to long holidays. Wow. Okay, so, you, you, you're <laughs> so it a was bit, really calculated. You're, you're, a bit, you're a bit selfish and all that, but you, you had a plan. Or entrepreneurial. <laughs> maybe they, I don't know. You were, you were a lot of things going on there, but quite clever, I think. <laughs> quite clever. And when I went to uni, I chose the major that had the least number of contact hours. Oh. Because it was all about life. All about life. Not, and not, why shouldn't it be? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's seriously my, my motto now. It's, yes, it's I think it's all a lovely about motto. life. Well, we've we've all got a limited time, but if, we, if we're having life, we and, ha- and that was the the feeling that you had then, maintaining that is such an interesting place because obviously we serve, 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 thinking that one day we're going to have life. Well, not no, that, that's no, not where no, life no, is. No, life no, is no. not that. Yeah, that that absolutely isn't. And again, it's it's a paradigm that we're really fed here in Australia. Mm. It's not life. It's a hamster wheel mm. that we jump on and mm. we keep running on. For how many years have we been running? To, what, to, keep up with, to keep up with the Joneses or to keep up with ourselves or to, to show that our parents that we have succeeded or to show to our children that we actually will provide for them. And then when we do, we forgot that they're there. And it's like, oh, it's so easy to get caught up in the, in the wanting and the need and the more. And you have to, I mean, we're painting a picture here like everything has been rosy. My life hasn't been rosy and there's been <laughs> lots of I'm falls sure, I'm sure. and there's been lots of breakdowns um, that have created the breakthrough. But it's very much about also, uh, and there's a chapter in my book about detoxing my perceptions. Mm. Big one, big one. It's a huge, and it's very painful. There was no laughter. (laughs) There was lots of tears. And and, 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 and to some extent, I relate to what you're saying closely and dearly, but who who we become is from the place of where the hardship is and the adversity we faced. Absolutely. And and when we recognise that and we know that we accept that and embrace it for what it is and be grateful for it, rather than, than to, to be the victim around it. However, society reinforces mm. that the victim place is where we stay. I, I really believe that here. We, we stay in this modality of being the victim because we don't get to that point of conscious awakening of understanding that everything happens for the purpose of our journey. And so if we stay in the victim we feed into systems that are not created to serve us. Do you think generally that people have might have some difficulty in, in dealing with this conversation? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all the more reason why we do it with grace. Okay. So we're not accusing people and no. we're not even accusing systems or no. structures. No. We have to own our own role. Mm. We have to own the, the part that we play, but we have to do it with a bit of consciousness because otherwise our children are going to go into very, very dark places and they're not going to have the tools to get out. So you, you really are teaching at a much higher level now than you've ever had. <laughs> Did we know this was going to be the chat? <laughs> well, like, well it, 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 to, to actually 
be able to have the chat mm. and to be able to relate quickly mm. on this subject that is quite a deep one. It is a deep one, yeah. And then you go, okay, whether you can keep up or not keep up, it's okay. It's okay. But the place of understanding that um, the victim idea is so easily taken on and it still it still comes to me. I still sometimes feel the victim about certain things and about the past and about what happened to me and what my dad did or what my mum did yeah, yeah, yeah. what what yeah. could have happened or mm. the, the wives I've had that didn't be or whatever. Mm. Now, mm. all of those things about the excuses we can create mm. uh, to justify maybe uh, why things shouldn't couldn't could be better. You know, oh, it could be better. Well, why could it be better? It is what it is, and the and place of acceptance of that. Yeah, and it's. It's here, there are actually wake-up calls for us to make that choice. Am I going to be a victim or a victor? And it actually takes more courage to be the victor. Mm, mm. And, and once, you, <laughs> once, you, once, you, once you choose it and you turn that leaf over and you yep. keep turning that leaf over, yep. you realise that you have a lot to offer, but it does take work and it does take giving and it does take commitment and it doesn't take a complacent attitude. Yep. It takes an attitude of sharing yep. and a continuous one. And then you realise that you, there is benefits from that and obviously this is one of them because we find someone that's like-minded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's lovely. Mm. Okay, anyway, so you go back to school. Oh, no, you leave school and you, yep. and you, you think, I'm going to go and become educated so I can travel yes. and get some time to myself but also to live and to survive. Mm-hmm. So and, I, went in, I got into Teachers College when I finished school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where was that? Which teachers' college was that? That was at McGill. McGill, yep. I, know. At oh, McGill. Yes. I, I did my I did my <laughs> ad, ad, I did my adult matric at McGill. Okay. <laughs> and as soon as I finished uni, I went to Kenya. Wow. <laughs> now that is strange. Now, I know it's so strange. It's it is so strange. It and is. anyway, were, were you got, was your intention to save the world, or did you feel no, the intention? No, 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 no. Did you no. feel Kenya needed you? No. Again, great question. No. I think I needed Kenya. Oh. I think, and, and Kenya as a, uh, like I've had a very long-standing relationship with Kenya and I understand that we, I needed Kenya. Kenya is, it, it's very hard to, have you been to Africa? No. Okay, so I'll take you mm-hmm. because it just, there's some, there's an energy there that they always say it just infects your veins mm-hmm. and... Yeah, so so it was me who needed Kenya, and I guess Kenya became part of my uh, life's healing journey. I spent ten years there teaching. During that time, I adopted. Uh, who, who were you paid for? Who who paid you to teach there? Uh, so I went over. First of all, I went over as part of an Adelaide-based teenage exchange program, right. and I went as a supervisor. Right. And I literally, the moment I landed, I knew I wasn't going to leave. And then I got a job. Oh. So there's lots of international schools there. Oh, okay. And so I got a job. This was during the, the 90s. I lived in Kenya for the whole of the 90s. Uh, during that time period, I adopted my first child. Wow. Because I'd always, again, subconsciously, I decided that I would adopt children rather than have children. Oh, wonderful. And uh, in those days, there was lots of child poverty. There were, I used to... There would be children sleeping in the the rubbish dump where I would catch my bus to go to work. And so it was something that just felt uh, the right thing for for me to do. So Mm. my oldest is now 25. 25. And I adopted her when she was two months old. Two months old. Two months old. I subsequently adopted a second one. Wow. But I was living in the Middle East by then. So I had left Kenya and come back to Australia. 
So you had a, adopted a Kenyan mm-hmm. girl, mm-hmm. and then you took her with you to. In those days in Kenya, this was during the nineties. There was a bit of political strife, and things were. It, there was a bit of political insecurity at the time, and. I have crazy stories that are in my book about like being held hostage in a bank mm. and <laughs> tear gassed to get out. Mm. And so it was getting a bit volatile. And, and now that I'd become a mother, I thought, okay, I needed to make some, some different choices. So I actually came back to Adelaide the beginning of 2000 with my daughter and I lasted two years and couldn't, couldn't settle here. So I moved to Malaysia with her. After that, I moved to Qatar. Wow. And in Qatar, I adopted my second Kenyan child from Kenya. And how did you how did you manage that? <laughs> well, you knew someone who who needed to be adopted over in Kenya. There's many people who, in those days, needed to be adopted, right. and it was just the experience of adopting Tashania, my oldest, was so incredible that I again another example of unconditional love. Mm. You know, to to become a parent to somebody who you haven't given birth to and and understand that you can love them unconditionally. That's what I'm saying you, to you. I needed Kenya. Mm. That that's mm. what it's it's gifted me that in in just enormous amounts. Beautiful. And so my second daughter. No, so I had a Kenyan husband. I've had mm. a couple. Oh, well, well, that's that's lovely. You lucky girl. No, no, no. That hasn't been lucky. There's been a lot of tears. A lot of tears. No, there, there was not, a laughter. A lot, of, a lot of loving, a lot of tears, a lot of laughter. But but there there lies the learning. Therein lies the learning, and and enormous gratitude mm. for the role that they played in getting me to where I am now. Beautiful. So my kids again have learnt unconditional love. They've learnt forgiveness, and. We have an enormous amount of gratitude for the journey. Beautiful. Ah, listeners, that was lovely, Suzanne, with just sharing capacity to be kind, the capacity to be kind, her children, teaching the children, her beautiful children, how to be kind. And uh, also she was saying, you know, what what do you love to do? What do we all love to do? What sort of model of education do we actually have and do we actually um, have the processes in place to, to be the facilitator? And she was talking about collective learning, empowering our children to make some of those choices. Very interesting, lady. Very interesting to, to try and understand some of those concepts. And I thought they made sense, you know. How are we going to listen to our children? Is the fact that we need more and more and more in our society really going to make us happy? Oh, the idea that breakdowns create breakthroughs. Oh, a little bit about unconditional love and gratitude. She's a happy person, Suzanne. I think we can, Susan, I think we can learn some more. Thank you, everyone. That was episode two. Looking forward to episode three for sure. That's another episode from Podcast with Paul. Special thanks, everyone. Remember to keep an eye out for our next exciting episode with more fun special guests. Find out more of what we're all about and look up the Laughter Project. Hey, everyone. Be happy. now that you're here, girl, I don't know what to say.